psychotherapy practice in Holland and have been doing this work for a long, long time. And so the things that I'm going to be sharing with you today are more for you than they are necessarily specifically for students. So I'm seeing some appreciative head nods about that. If that's not what you wanted to learn about, it's not that it isn't applicable to students, but if that's not what you thought this was going to be, it's probably not a great session for you to begin. Um, I would love to hear from maybe a couple of people, what were you hoping for when you chose to come to this session today? Just so I can keep that in mind as I'm talking, because my dream would be that everybody walks out of here with something that is useful and helpful and meaningful to them, rather than just passing an hour and signing your sheet and walking on to the next thing. So who will be bold enough? Just something that you, yeah. I guess I would say, even after all these years teaching, it's never gotten easier. And I feel like I have to be working seven days a week until I die. Like, you know what I mean? So uh, can I ever change that? I mean, after all these years, how would I not figure this out? Yeah. OK. So maybe a different way, recognizing the demands are not going to change. You've had enough years into this. The demands are not going to change, but maybe a little different way to live into it. Okay. Other folks, what are you hoping for? What would you love? Yeah. Am I making you nervous by like? <laughs> um, I'll try not to do that. I'm a no-tech person, by the way. That's all right. Um, yeah. As a working mom, it's tricky to like find my way to navigate through all of the stresses in life. So when I read the description, I was like, yeah, that's for me. Okay, great. Excellent. All the competing demands yeah. that we have. All having so many things that are important to us at any given time. And being a teacher, like Julie said, just nonstop working all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Great. How about one more? Add to that being in the sandwich generation with an elderly mother and grandchildren and wanting to do it all. Yes. All the needs of the older generation, the younger, sometimes grandkids for people as well, plus your students and parents and all of that. So the first thing that we're going to do, stepping into this, I'm going to have you put down whatever's in your hands right now. Just set down your coffee and your papers. You can pick it back up. After we're, after we're finished with this, we're going to do uh, just a little exercise here to begin with about um, the spotlight of our attention. Because as the, the, those of you who spoke up said, your attention can go to so many different things. And so right now, while we have this time together, um, we're going to learn how to bring our attention just to what's happening right at this moment. So if you feel comfortable doing it, um, go ahead and close your eyes and get comfortable in your chair. You don't have to close your eyes, but sometimes that can help. And let's take that spotlight of our attention and
And the first place I want you to shine it is on the sounds around, because there are plenty of them right now. Just notice all the different sounds happening. The next thing I want you to notice is the thoughts running through your mind. There might be a lot of them. There might be a few of them. Just notice how many, how quickly or slowly they're moving. It's like a continuous river, never stopping. I want you to bring your attention to your physical self. Just in this moment, notice the top of your head. Notice your ears. Notice your eyes. Notice your tongue in your mouth. Notice your neck and your shoulders. Notice the weight of your hands and your arms hanging from your shoulders. Notice your chest and your belly. Notice your bottom sitting in the chair. Notice your legs, your upper legs, your lower legs. Notice your feet touching the floor. Now we're going to shift our attention from our physical selves to our breathing. And just notice how the air right now is naturally moving in through your mouth and nose, down through your throat, into your lungs. And notice how it moves back up out again from your lungs, through your throat, through your mouth and nose. And without changing your breathing in any way, just notice that cycle of the inhale and the exhale. Notice whether it feels like it's flowing smoothly or there are any sticky spots just observing it and then let's shift our attention that spotlight from our breathing to our hearts This moment right now, what is it that you most long for? 
most long for, just in this moment. Let that longing rise up. Notice what that feels like in your body. And when you're ready, slowly open your eyes and see if you can bring that longing into the room here. you come back, if any of you might be willing to just say a word about what that longing is that came up. room today. <laughs> Security. Security. Coolness. So we could go on. We could spend the whole hour. It might actually be really valuable to spend the whole hour just talking about what our longings are. I actually think that would be valuable. Um, I have done this exercise many times. Many groups of people. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, the power I have. Um, yeah. <laughs> I see buttons being pushed. Okay, good. I've done this. <laughs> we can just sit in the dark. It's okay. Just keep pushing. I'm going to keep going. So <laughs> it's not a power outage. Good. So I've done. I have done this exercise with lots of groups of people over the years. People who were in jail and prison and kindergartners and doctors and lawyers and teachers. Um, most recently, I just did this with a group of Bosnian college students in Sarajevo just a few weeks ago. And what I love about doing this is, big moment, what I love about this exercise is the answers are always the same. It does not matter who or where or where in the world or how old people are. <laughs> the next room is trying to show a video, I think. You can see the lights in the other room are also going off. Oh, <laughs> 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 
likely we want to win than the Lakers. <laughs> it's a battle. Yeah. Are you just going up and down? Or yeah. Are you not playing? We are. We're trying to turn back on. Are you trying to turn them on? No, we're not touching anything. They just keep coming and going. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to turn the fun. Somebody should show you before everything happens. Can I do it? So oh, okay. We're just sitting here hoping to stand. Okay. We're hoping the same thing. Yes. Please die. It's lighting. So. Back to the list. The longings of our human hearts are universal. It's always the same list every time, which I actually find kind of miraculous, but then it's really not that surprising because these longings that we have are gifts from God. Right? They're, they're, um, in fact, there was supposed to be a handout, which I did not see. I submitted my handout to get printed up. Is it in? No? I didn't okay. get anything. Well, basically, it's an expanded list of these things that come up in our hearts as longings. And I'm going to talk a little bit. My, my job here today is to draw a you are here map. You know how I live in Holland. If you've ever been to Holland, maybe you live in Holland. I don't know. We have these signs downtown. It's like a big metal board. And it shows where everything is. It has a little dot that says you are here. So I want to draw a you are here map of uh, how we are operating in life and how these longings connected with that. So... I wonder what that was. It sounded kind of, I just watched Chernobyl with my husband. Like, <laughs> about little buzzers going off. <laughs> okay, so out here we have God, right? God is in all and through all, and you know, so much bigger than we are, um, unfathomable. And then we have uh, the place where God intersects with us, and that is through our soul. And I may be using that word a little differently than you've heard before, but what I'm actually talking about is the place where those longings reside. No, nobody, we didn't ask for our longings. We don't, we don't ask, we didn't dream up the things that make our hearts sing or that make us cry or that make us really angry. Um, they, they just are part of the mix of who we are. For me, justice has always been a thing. I wish that it wasn't. My life would be so much easier if, if I didn't cry in church when certain songs get sung. You know, my kids are like, really? Is this happening again? Like, yep, here come the tears. I wish that it wasn't happening, but it is. Um, but that's been true for me since I was three years old. I have very vivid memories of that being an ongoing strain through my life. And I'm sure the rest of you can think about things that have been an ongoing um, motivation as well as frustration, as well as the things that hold the most beauty and joy for you in life. Um, and again, that expanded list, if I had it, which I will um, direct you to at the end of this if you'd like it, names what all those things are. Um, connection with others, contributing to the well-being of others, um, meaning and purpose in the world. Um, contributing, learning, growth, curiosity. All of those things are the qualities that, that make life worth living for us. So we have that, and then we have this physical body. 
I was born in Detroit, and so we were very car-oriented there. So I think of our physical body like a vehicle. It's a vehicle, the purpose of which is to move from one place to another. That's why we have cars, to get from here to there. Our physical body is this wonderfully and wondrously made vehicle that moves all of these things in our soul, these manifestations of longings that God has given to us, carrying that through our life. So our physical body is here to manifest all those longings. And we have all these things. I am not a science person. I'm a humanities person. And so I don't really think about the science stuff that much. So we're all in this room right now. We have all these wonderful things happening that we don't have to think of. Our immune systems are functioning. Our digestive systems are going on. Um, where our bodies are fighting off germs and doing all kinds of things um, in the service of trying to support this body living as long as possible with as little pain as possible. That's kind of the purpose that it's serving. It's, it's how we have been created. When the system is working well, that's what's happening. An additional piece that we have that is about carrying these longings through life and living them out and loving people and learning and growth and contributing and all of that stuff. An additional piece that we have is our thinking mind. Now, our thinking mind is a really wonderful tool. One of its great purposes is to help us, again, get this physical body through life as long as possible, as, as pain-free as possible, and being able to live into those values as much as possible. So it does things like problem solve and figure things out and plan ahead, and it can uh, project out into the future. It can imagine things. You know, I don't have to walk into the middle of a bonfire to learn that that's not a good idea. My thinking mind can project out and say, mm, that's probably going to be painful. You probably don't want to do that. It's good. Um, thinking mind is such a fantastic tool for um, doing homework or planning lessons or figuring out what you're going to do for the weekend or um, curing diseases and sending people to the moon and all of those wonderful external material world kinds of things. It's really good. Uh, however, there's one one little place where it gets sticky and. Uh, so there's a piece of brain research which might, I, I don't know, maybe this seems old to you now. It was very new about 10 years ago. And that was um, we found through MRIs that the same part of our brain that lights up when we are in physical pain, right? So if I break my leg, the pain part of my brain is going to light up. That same part of the brain lights up when I'm in emotional discomfort, fear, sadness, guilt, anger. That same part of the brain lights up. So that's an interesting little fact which we're going to hang over here and we will come back to in a moment. Is that new information to you or is that something everyone like, yeah, we know that. Is that? Can I see hands for yes, I knew that? Okay, okay. So um, the thinking mind, let's go back to the problem-solving function of it. So our thinking mind, um, if, I, if this is a 
hot stove burner and I do this, what is going to happen? I will burn myself, and then what will happen? <laughs> what will I do? Yeah, yes. Boop. Before I even think about it, before it even registers in my mind, my hand, my reptilian reflexes are going to pull it off that burner. And then my thinking mind is going to jump in, and it's going to do a really great thing, which is problem solving. So it's going to go in one of two directions, or maybe both directions. The first direction that it goes in is, whoa, what is wrong with that? That needs to stop, right? So I can say, you know, unplug the stove or put water on that. Something needs to change about this burner out here. The second place that my thinking mind goes is, what do I need to do differently? Don't touch the stove again. Never go in a kitchen. That might be kind of nice, actually. <laughs> Unless someone's cooking for me, then I'll go in. Um, so two different reflexes with the thinking mind. Something needs to change out there when there's pain and, and or something needs to change in me. Pretty simple. Now let's go back over here and take that little uh, refined MRI information about what the brain does with emotional pain and physical pain. And... That means not only with a burner on a stove, but if someone said to me, which I'm sure none of you ever would, because you're very nice Christian school teachers, you would never say to me, you know what, that presentation that you did was incredibly boring. Right? So where I would go with that, such an innocuous example, right? But... Um, I, that's going to be painful for me. Actually, it wouldn't be that painful. That's probably a bad example, because I would say, oh, really? Tell me. What was horrible about it? I want to learn more. But uh, how about, yeah, what if you said, you know what? I cannot stand your children. Right? Going right for the jugular. Your kids are horrible. You're a terrible parent. Oh. So my thinking mind, because that's emotionally painful, just like putting my hand on the burner, my thinking mind is going to do that same dividing up of directions. Either it's going to go to, you think my kids are bad? What about your kids? Your kids are horrible. And I remember when you decided to do X, Y, and Z with them, not only are your personal kids bad, but your students are horrible. You have the worst run classroom in this entire school, right? That's called blaming others. It's just the thinking mind doing the something needs to change out there. And or, and, and we typically do both, I would go to, oh my gosh, you are absolutely right. I am a horrible parent. I can think of every flaw and deficit and problem that my children have, and it's all my fault. And now everybody else knows I am so devastated with shame, I can't even speak. I can never come here again. Right? So I'm blaming myself. It's the same version as stay away from the stove or don't, don't go near the kitchen. Pretty simple. Right? So we blame others. Or we blame ourselves as a 
natural, it is a natural default reflex of a system that is built into us to protect us. It's no different than this reflex, you know, when you hit that little thing, right? I am not choosing that. I'm not doing that for some good conscious reason. It just is a reflex. Likewise, this blaming others and blaming ourselves is a reflex. And it leads to something that every single one of us does 10 bazillion times a day. And it's called getting stuck. So getting stuck is when we get ourselves into, I think of it like a hamster wheel. And I think all three people who volunteered a situation said something about, you know, getting torn. There's some version of I'm not doing enough or what I should be doing better or I should be pouring myself more into whatever it is that I'm doing. And we get on these wheels. It's like a hamster on a wheel where there's tons of activity of lots of stuff running through our mind, but it's not getting anywhere. I just feel bad, bad, bad. I should put more time into lesson planning. I should be spending more time with my family. I should, 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 should. Right? All the things that I should be doing. And what's happening is when we get into these places where we're getting stuck, where that thinking mind is getting us stuck, how connected are we in those moments with all of these beautiful longings that we have about peace and about caring for others and about learning and growth and beauty and justice and all that stuff that makes our heart more expansive? How connected are we? Anyone? Yeah. Not at all. Actually, my view of life in those moments has gone from like, this is amazing, to, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. It's like a microscope that you're staring at everything through. And it's not, when we're in this stuck place, we, the, what we're getting stuck around is there's something wrong and it has to be fixed. And I'm doing something wrong or other people are doing something wrong. And we've got to make it stop. And so we start on this whole series of things. We start on uh, judging. In my profession, we have diagnoses for people. So we can judge people in the form of a diagnosis. I'm sure you have those as teachers. I worked in the Chicago Public Schools um, for a little bit, and there was lots of diagnosing and labeling. Right, we start to label people. We get into, these are the symptoms of stuckness, by the way. So then we can get into um, shoulds, what we should be doing, what other people should be doing, supposed to, have to, feeling like a victim. Uh, feeling we, we can do both. We can either feel like a victim or we can feel like the I am the righteous and virtuous person, and everybody else here is terrible. Right? Does anybody else join me in that? I'm the one who really knows how it ought to be. I guess that's judging. <laughs> we all do this a million times a day. Again, it's just a reflex. It's not because we're morally bad or terrible.
terrible people. It's just coming out of a natural process that goes on in us. So this isn't about, this is bad and you should never do it. It's a shit. We want to just acknowledge, this is what happens for us. And it comes out of a worldview that we could name in a couple of ways. One is... Uh, Life should be pain-free. Right? So that's one, one viewpoint that we can have about the world. That life should be without pain. People should not get old. There should be no death. There's no sadness, no grief, none of that stuff. I went to... I had, there's, there's a person named Stephen Hayes who has done a lot of research that I really appreciate and I was so excited because he came here to the Midwest and he never comes to the Midwest and I went to see him with like seven, like, I, honestly there were like 3,000 other people and I got my chair right up in the front and I was waiting for him to come out and he came out and he said, okay, how many people, and, and we're going to do this right now, how many of you know the first and last name of your great-grandparents? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you know what they did for a living? And then he said, this is going to be you in a hundred years. <laughs> Very uplifting, <laughs> But you know what? It's true. These are the conditions under which we are all living. And here's the other news. Everyone is going to die, right? Like every relationship that we're part of right now is going to be over in one way or another, eventually. It just is in this, in this state of life that we're in right now. It's going to happen. Nobody gets out of that. My grandmother used to say, we're all headed to the same place. It doesn't matter. The president... You know, the little child, doesn't matter. We're all headed to the same place. And this idea that somehow we can avoid these basic conditions of life, it leads to pain for us. Right? Because if I'm telling myself a story, nothing should ever hurt, nothing should be hard, it should all be easy, and if it isn't, I'm doing something wrong, and I have to fix this whole thing. Right? That's... That is going to be an undoable task. So, um, if you if you would like a life that doesn't have that has the minimum of pain in it, I have a recommendation for you. Have someone build you like a little wooden box that's slightly bigger than you are, maybe enough for a little chair. Put a little slot next to a door so people can slide food to you, and then just live in there. Because that will really minimize a lot of pain, truthfully. Because relationships are filled with pain and complication. So just don't have any. So why does nobody ever take me up on this great offering? Why? Yeah. Yeah, you're missing out on some things. Yeah, so nobody wants to miss out on the good stuff. And so we want to have this alternative. Instead of, I should have a life without pain, what about, I want to have a life that's worth living. Hey, we're all living under these same conditions. How do we make this thing worthwhile?
Um, there's another little story that we can get in over here, too, which is really fun, and I do enjoy it when I'm living in it myself. True confession. Who's right? I love to play the game of who's right, and I like to win that every time. I like to be right. Isn't that fun when we're right? So it's a fun game, but it it brings in that limitation and that constriction. Because even when I am right, I'm paying a price for that at the end of the day. Right? Like if I'm in this room, we're going to have a debate, me against you, and I win the debate. Yes, I win. It's not that fulfilling. Ten minutes later, right? I feel kind of like a jerk or lonely because nobody wants to talk to me anymore. It's not that great. So I want to play a different game, which is how can we make life more enjoyable for everyone? That's a fun game. It's a hard game. It doesn't mean making everyone happy, by the way. It's a challenging game. How can I take what I am doing in this moment and make it something that also includes and contributes and supports other people and what's important to them? It's hard. It's so much easier to do it my way than get mad at people who don't see it the way I do. So... Would anyone be brave enough to give a little example of a place where they get stuck in themselves? I guarantee whatever you say, everyone else in here has felt the same thing. But like, what's a little thing that you get stuck around? I should be a better teacher. Why am I not? We'll just use it as a little example. Anyone? I need to be everything for everyone in my life. Great. I'm exhausted just even hearing that. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> it's never going to happen, right? But I need to be all things to all people. So where you know we've got to come right. There's a should in there. Yeah, okay, a should and a supposed to. So the good thing is, this is remember, this is the map. So we want to be able to read in a given moment. If I'm unhappy in life, I want to be able to go to this map and go, oh, oh, I'm stuck. That's what this feels like. Oh, yeah, in my body, I feel constriction and tension. Like, what do you feel when you get in, when you're really in that story? Like, you have to, what's, what's it like? Uh, physically, my shoulders end up by my ears and then my neck aches. Perfect. Physical tension. Excellent. Yeah, it's a great cue. You can, you can actually even just go by that physical tension cue. I know if I start to tense up, oh, I know I'm stuck. I've got some kind of stuck thing happening. So checking that and then asking yourself a question, am I enjoying this? Am I, am I enjoying this story about I need to be all things to all people and everyone, I need to make everyone happy? Um, and sometimes I might enjoy it. I might enjoy it for a minute. It's kind of feel important when I have that story. Um, 
if I am not enjoying it, but that's, that's actually called mindfulness, by the way, is the recognition. It's not about it never happens. It's about just recognizing. Oh, here I am again doing this thing. Oh, isn't that interesting? I do that lots of times a day. I do it lots of times an hour. Oh, I'm doing that right now. And then if I don't like it, if I recognize I'm stuck and I don't like it, I want to do two questions back-to-back really quickly. And you have to ask both. The first question is, and I'm going to write, write it down here, What is it, just like we did at the beginning of this session, what is it in this moment right now, this is not a Stephen Covey 20-year life goal, what is it in this moment right now that is most important to me? And that's getting at that longing. Going back. Okay, wait a minute. What is it right now? Sometimes it takes some work. When you're in that tense place, it takes some work to get there. Right here, we got all the answers, and they're coming fast. I know what everyone needs to do, and I'm going to tell them right now. Right? It's all, it just flows. Over here, wait a second. I've I got to slow this down for a minute. What, what is it that's most important to me? a different pace. Okay, what's most important to me, maybe, I don't know, when you think of a time when you were saying that to yourself, what what do you imagine the, a beautiful longing underneath that might be? It's probably a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, like, what... Underneath all of the, I must do this, what do I want instead? I'm guessing you want, you're you're telling yourself you need to do all those things because you're hoping that what what will be the result? That will be... I don't even know. I can't put my finger on it. That's so awesome. Because that's what happens, right? We get, we just get... Right, you're on, it's like a merry-go-round. You're just on it. It's spinning. It just got to do this, and we're not even aware of what what is the purpose of this anyway. Right? What is what am I going for here? Why am I doing this? Why am I up at 11:30 working on this thing? Or t- you know, what what am I after here? Um, so even just investigating that starts to change things a little bit. Even just wondering, wait a minute, what, what is going on here for me? I'm imagining, because I have a very similar, it's a familiar theme to me that you're talking about, and one, one thing that comes up for me is really um, wanting to contribute to the well-being of the people around me. As soon as I say that, I can feel myself settle down a little bit. I've gotten off the merry-go-round now. <sighs> okay, that's what's important to me. The next question that I need to ask. What can I do right now 
this second, not next week or tomorrow or when I'm making my lesson plans the next time. What can I do in this moment? And a do is always something with hands, feet, or mouth. Okay, it's not a think. When we get back over here, it's just around and around what I should be doing. Instead, um, what can I do right now with my hands, feet, or mouth to move in the direction of what I'm saying is important to me? Because these things, and we can add justice, well-being of all, we can add all kinds of things to that. These, this is not a checklist. Right? We don't say like, oh, I've been a good friend, I'm done with that. Now I can just do whatever I want. Kids have learned something a day, now we're done. We'll just move on. We can eat popcorn and hang out. Doesn't work. These are directions. And so what we want to do is we want to get some action on the direction that we've chosen. Again, hands, feet, mouth. Doesn't matter. It can be tiny. So east is a direction. Which way is east? It's this way in this building, I think. If you move 500 miles east, and I take one little step east. Who has gone east? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's not about I am the best teacher in the entire universe. It's about, yeah, today, right now in this moment, I'm going to take this step to contribute. It's my hope that this is going to contribute to the direction that I want to be living into. And when we, when we start moving into this, I don't know if you can feel it even as we're talking about it. We're getting out of this stuck trap. And what happens is you can actually feel, for those of you who are more body-oriented like me, you can feel, oh, I can breathe again. Or we get to a place where we feel a little more grounded and we're reconnected again with the things that are most important to us. Purpose, meaning. Living into our integrity in the way that we treat people, in the way that we treat ourselves. So, is this making sense about the what to do, the two questions? So I might... Let's say I am feeling totally overwhelmed because 90% of what's happening in my personal life is energy out that I'm having to put out there. I feel exhausted. I have friends who are neglected and all kinds of things going on. Plus I have my teaching stuff and everything else that's pulling at me. And what I realize is that I'm beating myself up. I'm a terrible friend and all the judgments and all the things. And instead of that, instead of the beating myself up or blaming other people for taking all my time, I want to go to, okay, wait a second, what is it? 
in this moment right now is most important to me. Well, truthfully, I actually feel kind of disconnected from people. So what, what's really important to me is having relationships. So in this moment, yeah, I don't have time. I don't have time to get together for coffee. But in this moment right now, I can do a do that serves what's important to me. And the do that I can do that's really simple is texting my friend who I'm thinking of and just saying, you know what, I'm thinking about you. I don't need to reach out to my friend and say, my life is terrible and here's all the horrible things that are going on and I need to unload Right? I can just remind myself. I'm waking myself up again. Oh, yeah. People are important. And I've lost that somehow. And now I can reconnect in the tiniest way. And it's like a little vitamin. Oh, oh I'm back. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be big and grand or one more huge thing on your list. But just having that ability. Every single moment that we're alive, we have this ability to wake ourselves up. So is there any, th- any questions about this? Is there, tell me, how about a couple of people, what are you getting out of this so far? Yeah. This is great. Um, is it the same for men and women in your experience? For the men who are humans, If you were a human person, yes, yeah, it's totally, I'm curious about the question, do you have a thought that maybe it's different? I mean, I am definitely using relational kinds of examples. Um, No, I I see you as a person with a lot of insight, and I'm curious if you've observed a functioning reaction to things differently between men and women. Yes. I, I think there are some differences. I think what's different is the, the stories that men get caught around are a little bit different. I would say if I had to make an overgeneralization about males and females, women tend to blame themselves first when something is painful or upsetting. Men tend to blame others. Again, it's a gross generalization. I'm not trying to say. It's just, I think it has to do with testosterone and cultural programming and all kinds of things. But nonetheless, um, even um, for people who start out blaming other people, I know when I do that, then I'm in bed at night ready to go to sleep thinking, gosh, what a horrible monster I am. I can't believe I said that. Who thinks that about people, right? And then, then I'm here, and then I do that for a while, and then I'm back to, but wait a minute, the person's a complete idiot. <laughs> it's not about me, it's about them, right? And then we're just ping-ponging, but yeah, we all do it. Other questions or thoughts about this? Yeah. I think I realized too that oftentimes my do doesn't actually get at what's most important. I do something else that distracts me, right? So my 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 default is like I'm a I'm a fixer. That's my like so I'm gonna go fix something. Oh yeah, that's great stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna go mow the lawn. Yes. Right? And then I'm like, I've accomplished something, I've done yeah. something, but it really didn't help. Right, but help for a moment. I love so that. So that that's yeah. where I'm finding myself on the map often. I'm doing things, just on a different map. Doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, you, you jumped off the merry-go-round yeah. to another merry-go-round. Yeah, I'm on a different merry-go-round altogether. But, you but know what? Yeah. You, 
I, I think what you can do is work with what you have going on there. Sure. Because there is something about that that's working. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. And what we want to do, um, it's like what I used to do because our son would not eat any vegetables. So I was constantly trying these sneaky ways of like brownies out of mashed up brat, you know, like, no, there's no vegetables in there. Um, so we can, we can amp up the nutritional value of whatever it is we're doing. And the way that we do that is we remind ourselves, what is being served by this thing? Okay, so I, I got a lot of stuff to do. I've got a million things. I'm distracted. I'm feeling bad about some stuff. I'm going to mow the lawn. Okay, I'm going to mow the lawn. Before I turn this lawnmower on, I would like this to be as fulfilling as it can be. So what is it that's being served for me in doing this act? Well, there's a number of things. I can mow my lawn with resentment and feel worse at the end of it, right? Sometimes we do that. Just nobody helps and do everything myself. I have to do this. I'm supposed to cut the grass. It's super draining and demoralizing. Or I can say, you know what? Okay, I'm doing this thing for me. Because the truth is, is, I know I'll get pushed back on this, but I still hold it very firmly. The only reason we ever do anything ever is to try to serve one of these values. That's it. We never do anything for other people. It's not possible for me to cut the grass for other people. I'm kidding myself if I'm doing that. If I'm cutting the grass and I think it's for other people, I'm actually doing it because I want to serve my family. Maybe in our household, it's a very high-value care and maintenance of the things that we've been given. Right? Being good stewards of our resources. Maybe I'm going to get behind that cutting the grass. You know what? I, I enjoy it. It's a way for me to connect with nature. Right now, I can enjoy the experience while I'm doing it. Or if I'm doing it because I know my husband feels really happy when I've cut the grass. Right now, I'm doing that with some fullness. It's not just this empty robot just doing whatever. I'm, I'm engaged with it. I feel more, there's more life around it. So that while I'm doing it, and when I get to the end of it, I can feel full. So it's underneath. every. There's not one thing. You cannot tell me one thing that any of you ever do that isn't connected at its root with something um, that has to do with values. And it's actually, I love Sudoku, but this is even more fun than that in terms of a puzzle. Like figuring out, how am I, how am I going to get behind this? I hate math and I don't want to teach it. Well, why am I doing it? Well, I don't have to. I mean, I could say... I have to, I'm supposed to, it's what's expected, I have to do it because it's what they told me in my job description that I have to do. Or I can say, you know what, yeah, it's not my favorite, but you know what, I went into education for a reason, it's easy for me to lose track of that sometimes, but I like life a lot better when I am reminded of the reason I started doing this work in the first place. That I can get behind, and math is happening in the context of that. It doesn't mean I'm going to love math, but there's a bigger context that I own 
that I take ownership of, I'm not a victim to it, um, that feels more life-giving to me. Um, what's really fun about this, too, is you can be like a little magical person who has a wand that is putting it on other people in a really positive way when you realize this is the only thing that's ever going on for anyone. If anyone's mad or upset or sad or whatever, um, or stuck or boring or they're driving you crazy, this is all that's ever going on for anyone. And when you can be the person who sees with the vision of those values, you can really help people out. If, someone is, if you see someone else is really stuck, and they want to go on and on about this and that, and I'm exhausted, and this is so tiring, and when you can find a way to help them reconnect with their values, this man, Marshall Rosenberg, who I studied for a very long time with, he has a book called Nonviolent Communication, and that's what he's talking about at the heart of it. When you can help people get down to the essence underneath what they're saying, to the things that are important for them, it shifts things. When we can help people reconnect with that life, that God-given life that's within them, in the small moments of life, it's so much more fun. It's so much more engaging and alive. What else? What other thoughts? Questions? Anything jumping out about this? Yeah. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for finding mindful moments as a classroom teacher because sometimes it feels like prison and I don't get to have my two minutes of going to the the chill out zone. I don't know, how does that look when my responsibility is the tiny humans that are in my room with me and and I'm having to come in with complete control of my emotions or, you know, just ignoring them when they're in my room. I don't know. Like, yeah. That's that's a struggle that I have on the regular. <laughs> so I think that is probably a struggle that every person in here, especially people that teach in the lower grades, has. And the first thing that I would say to you is self-empathy. Self-empathy simply means recognizing before you even go into that classroom for the day, okay, there I've got a lot of life in me. I have a lot of values, a lot of longings, and some of them are not going to get met in this situation. It's just not going to happen. And it's painful when that doesn't happen. So I need some room inside myself. Sometimes we think of it as mourning. I need some room. I need a space. I need the, the morning room inside of myself to be able to say, yep, it's one of those days. Because otherwise I'm going to get on the should and I'm mad at the kids and they can't behave and then what's wrong with me that I can't control this and I should find a better way. I should be able to take 25 minutes of silent meditation in a second grade classroom because other people are doing that and why can't I? No. Mm -mm. Going in with empathy for yourself. 
And then, if, if you are needing that time, if, that, if you know that's important for you personally to have some of that time to reconnect, finding that time. If you can't find, we can talk about some ways to do that in the classroom with students, but if you can't find it in your day, saying to yourself, as soon as this bell rings, I'm taking five minutes, because I need that. So being able to do it on the fly. Um, there are so many resources, and probably some of you know that way better than I do, about how to um, bring mindfulness into the classroom. That's not my topic for today. But there are ways to do this that are age and developmentally appropriate. And, um, it's just helping people become aware when they're stuck, and then helping them reground so that they can move forward in a fuller, more enjoyable way. Self-empathy is a huge one, because when we get stuck in this, how life should be all the time, life should be really enjoyable all the time, and if it isn't, something's wrong with me. But you know what? There's not a lot of room for sadness and disappointment and grief and mourning. Over here, there's tons of room for that. Because we're on, there's always some, right? You're in here right now, and you're not somewhere else. You're not on the beach in Mexico or something, right? You're, you can grieve that. That's sad. Part of you might like to be there, but you're here. And that's always true. We're always saying yes to some things and saying no to other things. And let's just, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, this isn't my favorite moment in life, and that's all right. But I don't have to continue to make it horrible for myself. I can live as well as possible with what is actually happening. 